0: Thank you for joining us for this chapel message from the campus of Columbia International University in Columbia, South Carolina. Our mission at CIU is to educate people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ.
1: Well, hey, I am so honored to get to speak first with you this week on evangelical unity. Thank you guys so much For being here, all of you that still need chapel credit on a Monday. So I appreciate that. No, it's terrible to say, but glad that you could be with us. Uh, Truly a wonderful week as we celebrate one of our core values uh, this week. Because evangelical unity is who we are and is who we are called to be through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I pray that the words today that God has prepared for me to speak will be very encouraging to you in this day. If you have your Bibles, open up to Romans chapter 15. Or if you have your Fibbles, I learned that term last week that I guess stands for our phone Bibles. If you have your Fibbles, which most of you do, uh, I encourage you to go to Romans chapter 15 as well. If you're one that is easily distracted by your Fibble, which would be me, uh, I encourage you just to put it away. And uh, for about the next 20 minutes, sit back. Words will be on the screen, scripture will be on the screen, and just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you in the presence of this moment today. Romans chapter 15, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 7. It says, "We who are strong have an obligation." And we pause right there for just a moment because it's it's easy for us when we read something like that to think, "Well, well that is not me." Like I am not strong in the faith. Well, let me tell you right now, you that are in this university that are blessed to get a Christian education within the establishment and the history of CIU, you are obligated within the faith. And so may we all take that in this morning that we are who Paul is writing about in Romans 15. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Verse 2, Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. Verse 5, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Let's pray, please. Father God, we thank you for this morning, God. We thank you for This Monday, we typically don't have chapels on Monday, but Lord, an important week as we discuss this value of evangelical unity. Lord, I pray that as we get this kicked off this week, Lord, that you would be present through the words and actions of this time. And Lord, that we would not just read these verses from Romans, God, and to hear the instruction that Paul gives to us and that we would not take it lightly, but truly we would apply it into our life. So, Father, teach us something today. Lord, help us then from that instruction to apply it into our lives, that we may recognize the importance of being Christians together, unified around the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, may the words that I speak today be pleasing to you, Father, as your spirit flows through me. We ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen anyone love to go on vacation? Yes. Let's be honest for a moment, okay? The truth of this, we're just a few days away from April, and then in April, I know it's going to be a long month, but we are like, we are one month away from May, and in May comes graduation, and in graduation comes summer vacation. I smile because as faculty, we're just excited for summer vacation, as you are. Because we're blessed, and it's been a long, hard, but profitable year in the ministry of whatever you do. For me, it's education, for others, in different disciplines. We're all ready for summer vacation. Growing up, I got to go on some really great summer vacations with my parents. My mom was a ninth grade English teacher, my dad was a Methodist pastor, and so that allowed us some weeks within those summer months to get to go on trips. And I wanted to just highlight one trip for you, because it was a very, very exciting trip that we got to go on. It was to North Carolina. Now, I know where we live, that does not sound very exciting, okay, unless you're from North Carolina, maybe you really, really love the state. I was an Ohio boy growing up. We never got out of the state. And so to get to go to North Carolina was a very, very exciting thing. Now, I'll lead to you why we went to North Carolina, specifically Mount Airy. First, there were a couple rules in my house that you need to know. I'm almost embarrassed to say these rules to you, but you just heard that I went to clown camp as a middle schooler, so it doesn't get much worse than that. Number one, we were never allowed to watch The Simpsons growing up. Okay, anyone else? Oh, thank you so much. See, I feel so much better that you raised your hands, because I, in writing this, I was like, this is so stupid, they're going to just laugh. But see, you're right there with me. It was actually The Simpsons and Married with Children, which is a terrible, terrible show. Number two rule was more of a holiday, in a sense, in that we were never allowed to celebrate Halloween. Anyone else? Which I kind of look back at now and laugh, because my dad was an evangelical Methodist pastor. Right. Part of his mission is to reach out to people. And he so despised this holiday that when the night would come, but like before sunset, we had to get in the car and we would drive off and we always got to go to the movies or the mall. So that was really always fun. But now looking back, he just was always so like, no, we can't we can't be at the house in case trick or treaters show up. And the number three rule is not really a negative, it's more of a positive, but growing up with it, you might have felt that it was a negative, is that for every night at dinner, we always had to watch the Andy Griffith show. Anyone else ever seen the Andy Griffith show? Thank you so much that you don't leave me alone. So this makes sense then in going to Mount Airy, North Carolina, because this was the home or birthplace of Andy Griffith himself. And I looked this up. The picture there is the actual home of Andy Griffith. And there's a sign in the yard. It says, Andy Griffith's home place from 1935 to 1966. For lodging reservations, call 336-789-5999. Apparently, you can still rent out the Andy Griffith home and go stay. Now, we never stayed within the home in Mount Airy. But I can assure you that this entire trip was organized around the one man that my dad loved growing up, almost as much as Christ Himself. We had such good trips that I can remember growing up. But there was one trip that I always wanted to take, and we never got to go on. I asked year after year to go on this trip, and I was always denied. We never got to visit the Redwood National State Park in upstate California. Has anyone been to the Redwoods in California? I'm very envious of the few hands that are raised. I never got to go, and I always wanted to. I was so desperate to go to the Redwoods to see them that in fifth grade, our teacher asked us to do a project, like a poster project or a PowerPoint, whatever you wanted to do, on a place that you want to visit. It was a convincing argument. And so I thought, no, this is the best opportunity. And so I spent, I spent weeks, like six weeks studying and researching. You want to talk about driving my parents crazy who had already said no countless times. And so I put this whole PowerPoint together and I made snacks. I was that kind of dorky kid that I set up the whole living room and I was going to present my thing to my parents. And I knew that this would convince them. So I gave my presentation, then I gave it in school and I got a resounding A, And my teacher said, oh, you know so much about the redwoods. You should go see them. And I told my parents that. I even asked my teacher, I said, would you please write my parents a note and tell them what you just said? And she did. And I took my note home. And guess what? We never went to the redwood forest. But I did learn a lot of valuable facts about the redwood forest that maybe you know or you don't know. The redwood seeds are no bigger than a tomato seed. The redwoods grow as tall as 35-story buildings. In fact, their height helps them survive in dry seasons as they live on only the moisture that they're able to extract from fog. They condense the mist against their trunks and redwoods create fog drips that cool and they roll down into the grooves of the bark, flowing down the length of the tree to the roots that nurture it. They are resistant to insects, they are able to withstand fires and floods, they are subject to no diseases, and they have endured for ages with no natural enemies except one, man himself. The huge redwood trees in California are considered the largest living things on earth and the tallest trees in the world. Some of them are over 300 feet high and over 2,500 years old. One would think that trees so large have a tremendous root system reaching down hundreds of feet into the ground. However, the redwoods actually have a very shallow root system. So how do they get so big and how do they stand so tall? Although the roots of the redwood are shallow and seemingly insignificant compared to the rest of the tree, they are intertwined with the other trees around them. Their roots are locked together to each other. So when storms come and winds blow, the redwoods stand because of their brother or sister next to them. The massive redwoods stand because they don't stand alone. They have the other trees to support and to protect them. Are you picking up on the illustration yet? The same is true for us as the church friends. There are many days where I feel very shallow within my faith. There are many days that I sit at Bible study and I open up my Bible and I can make no sense of the words that are written to me. There are other days where I make sense of the words and I leave the Bible study only to find myself falling into sin again. And I think I am so shallow within my faith. And I am reminded that it's not for me to do alone but that I live in unity with my brothers and sisters around me. That together we are called as the church to support and to encourage one another. This is why the topic of evangelical unity and the message that Paul gives us in Romans is so important. God has given you and me and all believers of the gospel the responsibility to stand together unified around one thing, that being the message of Jesus Christ. This is why the founders of Columbia International University and past presidents, boards, and faculty prayed and believed in a core set of values that we still acknowledge today. These values represent the core of who we are and what we are called to be and to do in response to the gospel. Our CIU website says it best about our values. It says on the website, it says that these are not just words written on stones around our campus, but they are the values that we inscribe upon our hearts. So true and powerful are these words taken, I believe, from Proverbs 3. Proverbs 3 says that, "'My son, do not forget my teaching. But let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace that they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you, but bind them around your neck and write them as a tablet on your heart. We don't just say we believe in the authority of Scripture, in victorious Christian living, in world evangelism, in prayer and faith, and yes, in evangelical unity, but we live them out daily in our lives. Not just because we can, but we, because we are called to through Scripture. CIU's statement on evangelical unity, if you've never heard it, is this. It is the accepting of other Christians of evangelical conviction, regardless of denominational or theological affinity, for purposes of fellowship, encouragement, edification, and ministry. It is the central statement of who we are called to to be and I like you I was once a student at CIU I came to get my PhD and so I was a little farther along within the life's path that I believed God had for me for my my vocation or calling and I remember coming to CIU and I remember seeing these stones and I remember to not think much of them But then as I spent time at CIU, as I spent time with God and developing and allowing Him to work within my life, I came to recognize that these stones are not just stones with words, but they represent the foundation of who we are called to be as Christians. And my prayer for you, I believe the prayer that all faculty has for you within this place, is that you would not just come, that you would not just study, that you would not just read and and grow within your faith some, but that you would truly recognize who God has called you to be. Because those core values for me, and I promise you, if you trust Him and you give Him a little time while you're here at this place, that God will start to develop those values within you. That you truly will not just know them and read them, but that you will live them and be them within your daily life. Let others, when they come on our campus, Or it could ask the question, when others come on our campus, who do they see through you? Do they see those values being lived out and edified within the decisions that you make in all that you say and do? So how does this value of evangelical unity apply to us? What can Scripture teach us in relation to this value? Scripture instructs us, if we go back to Romans 15, that we are to bear with one another's weaknesses and to encourage one another towards spiritual growth. Again, verses 1 through 2, it says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. That means that I may need to sacrifice my pride, my wants, my desires, my intentions for the betterment of my brother or sister in Christ. This lesson goes against everything, you know this, everything that culture tries to teach you. Culture says that you need to look out for yourself. Culture says that your bank account needs to be full for you and for your wants and your desires. Culture tells us that every time spent should be time spent investing in yourself and not in others that being successful or being profitable means looking out for yourself and no one else. But Scripture teaches us a better lesson, an acceptable lesson, and that we are to set an example as Christ did for us. Verse 3 again, For Christ did not please Himself, but He took on the reproach of not just one, but all of us on the cross." Only, friends, when we stop living for ourselves and we take responsibility of living for the edification, the fellowship, and the encouragement of others, will we be truly unified around the gospel of Christ. And only when I get to to know my brother or sister in Christ can I truly support them in their struggle. For unity around the gospel means that I'm willing to do whatever it takes to see you spiritually grow and mature. I remember when I started here last year as, as a new faculty professor in the College of Ed, man, I, I felt so driven to get work done during the day. And I know that's important, right? I'm, I'm called to be a faculty member. That's what I get paid to do. But I came to recognize that the majority of time spent is not so much spent on papers and teaching as it is in relationships and listening and going to lunch to share moments with you. And so now my prayer is changed that, Father, whatever you would have for this day, so that we may edify and build up one another. And I'm so thankful that we can set that example for one another, because can I tell you something, that when you leave this place in four, five, six, seven, eight years, however long it may take, you may remember a faculty member, you may remember a class, you might be impacted by a book, but it's the relationships that you share together that will last for a lifetime. And that speaks to the unity that God has instilled within us. So the application from this, what I would encourage you in is to take time to get to know others. Take time to get to know others. Don't sacrifice that lunch appointment or time. Sit with your faculty and get to know them. Sit with a friend that is in need and get to know them. Go to that Bible study, even though I know you can say, well, I've got a Bible study that I, I know that I should go to, that I want to go to, Well, then, and then I have this that I need to do as well. And sometimes this is really important, and it requires that time. But don't forsake the gospel Because the gospel is not just for us, but it's for all of us. And someone may need you to go to that Bible study to hear a word that God has placed on your heart. So take time to get to know and be willing to sacrifice your time for others. Second, we are called to recognize that the example of Christ set for us in the purpose of God's word. Old and New Testaments were given to us for our good We have everything we need to live in evangelical unity with others if we will recognize the example that God has set for us and if we will live obediently to the Word of God. Easier said than done, right? We have everything we need to accomplish evangelical unity if we would just trust in God and trust in His Word and live obedient to it. It's easy to accept the differences of others, correct? Correct? It's easy to not be in conflict with one another when we disagree. It's easy to put our others to put others before ourselves, right? None of these things are easy to do. I fail daily in those things. Difficult for myself maybe, but not for God. God never told us that seeking unity among believers would be easy. He knew that we would argue over trivial things like dress code, worship style, or even baptism. I remember we were studying Romans within our church, and I was teaching the fourth and fifth grade, and just a couple of weeks we talked about dress code. And I loved getting to see on our fourth and fifth graders' face what you mean people argue over what to wear to church? I said, for centuries they've been arguing over these things. And one of them said, that's not important to the gospel. I said, go forward and teach those adults that don't know that. (laughs) Because truly, life would be different if we all thought in the same way of children and the way in which we see it. God knew that we would argue and have division. And He knew there would be division to remind us of the one central thing, that we need Him and that we are better together. So what did God do? He did two great things for us, I'm sure, of many things. But first, He set an example for us through Scripture of His undying, unfailing love, highlighted by the life and ministry of His Son, Jesus Christ. And second, He left us with a book of instructions. Verse four, it says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Don't lose hope over your brother or sister in Christ when you don't see unity being achieved because God isn't done yet. The God who created the heavens and the earth, the Alpha and the Omega, meaning that it began in unity and it will end in unity. And in the meantime, let us look to the example and read the instructions on how we may endure and encourage one another towards the fulfillment of this promise. Maybe you've heard the lyrics written by John Henry Samus, the lyrics of trust and obey. Now, I grew up in a Methodist church. My father was a Methodist pastor, and we sang hymns. And this is one of those hymns that I felt like we sang more often than not. I am not a vocal major, and Prof. T. is gone, so he can't judge me in this. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Now, the chorus speaks strong, but listen to the words of the verse. I won't sing them for you. The verse says, When we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He sheds on our way. While we do His good will, He abides in us still, if all we will do is trust and obey. Not a shadow can rise, not a cloud in the skies, but His smile quickly drives it away. Not a doubt or a fear, not a sigh or a tear can abide while we trust and obey. Then in fellowship sweet, we will sit at his feet or we'll walk by his side in the way. What he says we will do, where he sins we will go. Never fear, never fear, only trust and obey. Friends, we must put our hope in Christ and Christ alone, for there truly is no other way. My application for you, three things. Be in the Word, trust in the Word, and live the Word. A lifetime for us to master, and we will never fully obtain it, but God already has. Read the Word, trust in the Word, live in the Word. And lastly, God's Word calls us to live in harmony with one another. Notice the words that Paul begins in verse 5, "...may the God." These words spoken almost as a prayer on our behalf, petitioning God, that He would give us the endurance and encouragement. Why I wonder that Paul would write that so many years ago because he knew, as we already did and do know, that we would fail. So may the God, the petition, encourage and give us the endurance. The fact that Paul puts these words into the form of a prayer demonstrates that he recognizes that this work is of the Holy Spirit and not of us. Again, it's not something that I can do for myself. It has to be the Lord empowering us through the Holy Spirit. And endurance also denotes time. If you're a runner or you're an athlete, it's not about just what you can do in the moment, but it's about the endurance that you have to to start and to finish well. And I am glad this morning that we serve a God of patience. Our God is a God of patience. We are oftentimes in such a hurry And God often seems to work too slow for us. Often the purposes of God seem to be delayed, but they are always fulfilled. God's delays are not His denials, but rather His purpose and plan. God is purposeful in how and why He does all things. Our goal then cannot be to get ahead of God. Anyone tried to get ahead of God? All the time. Our goal then is to bring glory to God, the Father, through Jesus Christ. And we accomplish that goal by having one mind and one mouth, by being unified in thought and in speech. One voice for the glory of God, the Father of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Paul ends this section of Scripture with one last important word of advice, maybe even the most important for all of us. Verse 7. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Friends, don't forget where you were and who you were before Christ. If I shared my testimony with you this morning of who I was before Christ, you'd be amazed that they'd let me stand on this stage to speak to you today. But I remember who I was. And I remember who I am now. Not because of me, but because of what He did through me. I can only live in unity with others when I recognize my sin and I recognize the grace that God has given. Each of us are on different roads, different backgrounds, different stories, and we're all made and loved by the same God. We'll end today with a quote from Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon wrote this in response to Romans 15, verse 7. It says, Christ did not receive us because we were perfect, because he could not see fault in us, or because he hoped to gain somewhat at our hands. Ah, no, but in loving condescension, covering our faults and seeking our good, he welcomed us to his heart. So in the same way and with the same purpose, let us receive one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning, God. We thank you for... The message of evangelical unity. Lord, it's easy for us to to read it on a stone, to recognize it as a value, just to move forward within our daily life. But God, as one of our core values of this university, you call us to, to seek growth. And Lord, that through growth that we would come to you in repentance, Father, and say, Man, there has been so many times where I have quarreled with my brother and sister, that I have not lived in unity. Father, would you convict my heart? Lord, may you bring those things to the surface that I need to make right with my fellow brother or sister. Lord, that we may not fight over religion or denomination, but Lord, that we will be unified around the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, how great and how mighty and wonderful those redwoods are. They do not compare to who you have designed us to be. But Lord, we cannot stand alone. Lord, may we be unified around the gospel of Christ. May we be led by the Holy Spirit. And may we come together alongside our brothers and sisters. May we learn from each other. May we grow from each other. May we encourage and seek fellowship together. God, we thank you for this week. May this week be an encouraging time as we grow and as we seek after you through evangelical unity. Lord, we thank you for Romans and what you've spoken to us today. May we take and apply to our daily lives. In Christ's name we pray.